not an easy thing, is it? To share what's, what's, ha- what's happening, what's been real in our lives and what's been in very difficult. And so if you're here this morning and some of those things that Catherine's just shared about are actually meaningful to you, perhaps you're in a bit of that space, I would encourage you, talk with someone today. No judgment here. Welcome to have support because that's what we want to do and to be. So this, this theme that we're unpacking today, I reckon one of the three questions that philosophers ask of human beings that we ask of life ourselves is one of these three. In fact, all of them, it's part of our humanity. First one is, what am I supposed to do? It's purpose. The other one is, why am I here? Meaning. And today, the one we're unpacking over these next two weeks is, who am I? This idea of identity and its close connection with the sense of worth. (laughs) You see, our identity is shaped by a whole number of different aspects. Our foo, our family of origin. For some people, it's our ethnicity. Um, It's got to do with our occupation. It's also got to do with our gender. How do we identify? Um, You know how this works. Uh, sometimes the way in which you see your own life and your own world actually influences the sense of are you confident in life or not? What are the things that have contributed to a sense of your identity and it flows on so easily into our sense of worth? Robert McGee, a man who wrote a book called Search for Significance, says human beings find a struggle and often run their lives by this simple equation. Self-worth equals performance plus other people's opinions. Does that make sense? Our sense of self-worth is often tied up with our sense of performance and other people's opinions. (laughs) You know that question about performance we intuitively ask, how did I do? By nature, we can be insecure people. So we intuitively ask of others, how did I do? How did I do? So we compare. Yvonne will be talking about that next week. But For those who get caught up in the approval game, we ask the question intuitively, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? If you like, to answer that question of identity or where we get our sense of self-worth from, we look sideways and we ask the question, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I mean, you know how it works, don't you? You're having a great day, everything's going swimmingly well, and then someone slides in a negative comment. Maybe there's just a little criticism. You didn't do as well as what you anticipated. And then have you noticed how our bodies change? (laughs) You kind of slump your shoulders. You kind of want to hide away into a little bit of a corner and you don't want to talk about it. But then, you know those other days that you have, the ones where you're doing really well? I mean, you think you've done well and other people, they, they praise you. Yeah, they're the days that you kind of you stand a little bit taller, don't you? You kind of walk around the office, you walk around at school, going, "Yeah, I'm okay, I'm good," you know. And you, you stand a little bit more prouder. You know how it works. This whole idea of our identity or our worth is wrapped up so often in what other people think. If you don't believe me, why is it that you take so long to choose just the right perfect photo to put on Facebook? <laughs> or You're about to put someone else's photo on Facebook and they want to check it out first. Is that the perfect representation of me before we put it online? You know how it works, don't you? If you don't believe that we're a community and a culture that looks sideways, this show would not exist if we didn't look sideways, right? So this is a classic example of 
a person watching a person who's watching a person <laughs> and who's asking the question, what do we think of them? <laughs> and, and it's critiqued, right, all the way through. We are tied up in a culture and a community that loves, if you like, looking sideways and asking the question, who am I? Well, McGee, he finishes off and he makes this profound statement. Our true value is based not on our behavior or the approval of others, but on what God says is true of us. I want to say to you this morning, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, I want you to know that there is a maker, the maker of the heavens and the earth, who loves you. And if you come to know his son, Jesus, if you open up your life to who he is, he kind of transforms your reality so that he bids you and asks you to stop looking sideways at everyone else and start looking up. You see, the problem with looking sideways is that the person next to you is just as broken as what you are as well. <laughs> they don't see the world fully. They don't know everything about you or the circumstances. They only see in part. The problem with looking at ourselves, at other people sideways and asking the question, what do you think? Is that they don't have a perfect picture. Even worse, when you start to look inwardly at yourself and ask the question, what do I think of myself? That's laden with challenge. The reality, McGee says, is that if you want to discover an immovable unshakable, unchanging perspective of your own self-worth, stop looking sideways and look up. So for the next two weeks, I'm going to pause right now and we're going to unpack one section in the Bible. It's titled Ephesians and it's a letter. We're going to look at just some passages from the book of the Bible where a follower of Jesus by the name of Paul writes a letter to groups of would-be followers of Jesus. And he writes to them that they exist in clusters all around the city of Ephesus in um, modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And he writes to them in that first century. And if you like, he's pleading with them to stop looking sideways, stop looking inwardly to discover who they are, and to profoundly look up to see who God says they are. Because they're people who have decided to place their simple trust and confidence in a person called Jesus and he's radically changed their lives. To place their confidence in a person called Jesus who's risen from the dead. And the moment they did that, he said that their lives shifted forever. If you're like, God poured his life and his spirit into them and their thinking began to change. Their heart's desires began to mix if you like, they started to align their lives and their very beings and their passions towards God, their makers themselves. And so what they desired to do was to live a life that reflected him back into their culture. And St. Paul writing in a jail in Rome, a distance away, who has no right to write the things he does, begins to take pen to papyri and say to them, in the world where you can drift in a world where you can look sideways and ask the question, what does everyone else think of you? I want you to look up. So are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. Let's plunge in. He says, and he writes these words in uh, this, this letter. Verse 3, he says, Let us bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the King. He has blessed us in the King with every spirit-inspired blessing in the heavenly realm. Paul, writing as he's chained because of his 
faith and his conviction in following Jesus in saying Caesar isn't king. There's this person, Jesus, who's the true king. He's writing to them and he's saying, I want you to know that the moment you said yes to Jesus, something changed and shifted in you and God has opened up from his heavenly realm every spirit-inspired blessing that you could imagine and you mightn't know it. This idea of blessing, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big word. He says, I want you to be gracious. I want you to have gratitude. I want you to be thankful for something that you don't fully get, but that God has actually done for you. And he's opened it up in his realm where he dwells, his heavenly space. Now, some people, when they think about the heavenlies, they think about the, the sky up there, the clouds far distant away. But that's not how Jewish people thought about the world. In fact, God's space where he dwelt was much closer and proximal. C.S. Lewis understood this concept perfectly. Where was Narnia? Narnia was at the end of the wardrobe. Narnia, and, and your access to it was through the painting on the wall. In fact, Narnia was like a lot closer than what you could imagine that the thin space between heaven and earth was a lot thinner than what you could imagine. If you like, God wasn't distant and far off. God was actually close and real. And he had opened up for them every spirit-inspired blessing, if you like, in the heavenlies. So he goes on and he says this. And this is going to mess with you. So are you ready with it? This is going to mess with you. This is going to mess with you. This is going to mess with you. So let's let it mess with you right now, okay? He says this, the moment you actually said yes to God, he says this was true for you. He chose us in him before the world was actually made so as to be holy and irreproachable before him in love. Well, 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 wait a second. I thought when I said yes to Jesus that that I said yes to him. And and, and Paul goes, no, you don't understand. There was a greater yes, a bigger yes that was going on. Even when you said yes to Jesus, it was like this bigger thing happening. And and he said, in God's estimation, before the world began, he actually kind of knew and he kind of actually chose. And it was actually him saying a bigger yes than your yes. Now, does that mess with you? Should. I sometimes talk to couples who are about to get married and I say to them, now let's just just mess with you for a minute there. When you stand up in front of everyone and you're asked the question, do you, do you, and you say, yes, I do, could have you said anything else at that moment? They look at me and they go, well, yeah, I could have said no. I said, but would you? Well, no. Why? Because I love them. Exactly. You see, there's this complicated, amazing idea that Paul writes and he says, you don't fully get it. The moment you said yes to God, even before the worlds began, he kind of knew and he said his yes to you. And I want you to know that he did it because he loved you. Two weeks ago, there was a truck that was driving down uh, Canterbury Road. It was a B-double loaded up with gravel. The driver actually steered across the road. And if you see it on webcam, there's six or seven cars that ducked out of the way on his way to smashing a power pole, smashing my neighbor's fence, and then crashing the truck into the pool of our next-door neighbors. It flipped the cabin. And uh, I ran out, and he's waving his arm. No one got killed. It was just waving his arm out from the cabin. Now, if someone ran up to him at that moment and said, 
is this the way you're supposed to be driving the truck? <laughs> he would say, no. If you called up the manufacturers of that truck and said, was this the way you were supposed to be driving the truck? They would say, no, you were supposed to stay within the lines. You're supposed to be driving it within the lines, delivering stuff for other people so it could help them. That's the way it was supposed to be driven. And Paul writes here and he says, I want you to know that God had intended you to live in a particular way that if you like, if you stay to his rules and his guidelines, it is the most life-giving experience you can imagine. He hasn't come to rob you of life. He's come to give it to you. If you like, he has actually sent his son and he actually wants you to live in a way that's holy and blameless before him. If you like, driving the car and the truck exactly in the way in which it was always intended to be driven. (laughs) That, he says, is a holy, good and pleasing way and you will find life. So let me ask you this. Who are you listening to to tell you who you are? What music are you listening to? What TV shows are you watching to tell you who you are? What voices from the past are you listening to? Hurtful voices, condescending voices that make you feel lesser. I want to tell you this. The moment someone says yes to Jesus, God looks at you profoundly differently. There is a new reality. He says, if you like, you are my treasured possession in whom I love, in whom I love. And I chose you before the foundations of the world. That'll mess with you. He goes on and he writes this. Not only has he chosen you in love, he says he foreordained us for himself to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus the King. That's how he wanted it. And that's what gave him delight. Julius Caesar as in many of the Caesars from that time on, decided that the way in which they would raise their children would be a little bit different. The way in which they decided who would be the next successive Caesar was to kind of watch their children, their grandchildren, their nieces, nephews, cousins, uncles, spread the net wide. And then when they were older, they would choose the one that was most responsible or who they liked the best. (laughs) So after Julius Caesar died posthumously, he actually appointed Octavian or Augustus to become the next Caesar. Augustus did the same by natural process of attrition. They actually adopted Tiberius, who he wasn't really related to, to be the next Caesar. Now, let's take that idea and apply it to the Telfers. <laughs> They've got four kids. Imagine by the end of their lives, they said, well, actually, we're not going to let them know who gets the inheritance. We're just going to watch and wait. We're going to watch and wait to see who is the nicest, who loves us the most, and who is the most compliant child. And then we'll choose who we adopt as our own children. Do you like that, James? Okay. Could you imagine the kind of family that would take place and happen if that actually was the way in which they operated? Could you imagine the fights and the wrestling? But God says this. (laughs) Abby, are you the chosen one? Have you been adopted in? Do you have the whole shebang? Who are you listening to? You see, because when someone says yes to Jesus, not only does he say, I chose you before the foundations of the world, but I, I, in love, but I want you to know this. I adopted you into my family. And in my family, there are only firstborns. 
There are only firstborns, sons and daughters. You are welcome into my family. That's who you are. So let me ask you, who are you listening to? Who's telling you? Where are you getting your cues from? Who are you looking at sideways and going, if I could just do enough, if I could just please them enough, then maybe they will, maybe they will, maybe they will. Stop doing that. Look up. You are God's prized possession. In whom he loves before the foundation of the entire world. He said a yes to you and he adopted you and he welcomed you. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, stop looking at the past and start looking at the future. Stop looking sideways. I want you to look up and see who I see you to be through my eyes. Not through the broken eyes of the person next to you because they're changeable, they're moving, they're imperfect. Take your cues from me. Are we warming up? Are we getting there? Because Paul changed that he has no reason, he has, he has no right to write the things he's writing because he looks sideways and he sees a prison guard, <laughs> but he's looking up. And he goes on and he writes this, God has done this so that the glory of his grace, that is the grace he poured out on us in his beloved one, that's Jesus, might receive its due praise. That is, God did it because he just loved doing it and it was his delight and he wanted to do it and he loves doing it and he will continue to do it because that's just who he is. He is gracious. We don't get this word, gracious. I discovered grace in the city. A few years back, I parked my car, put my money into the meter. Do you know how quick they are in the city to pay out on a fine on you? Could you just the hands who has been caught before? Yep, I see your hands. I ran back to the car one day because I know the money has run out and I bet you there's someone there and I've just copped a fine and I ran to the meter and I looked at it and it had run out. I looked at the car, there was no ticket. And then there was this flashing word at me from the parking meter. And it said, grace, 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 grace. This idea that I didn't deserve it, my money had run out, but somehow in their good, kind, benevolent feelings, the city of Melbourne Council had decided to extend grace they may have removed it now but I got it that day and God gives it lavishly time has run out you might have been driving your truck in all the ways in which he never intended but he gives his grace to anyone who would in their simple confidence reach out and say to Jesus yes for who you are He goes on and Paul writes, In the king and through his blood we have deliverance. Jesus died for you. That is, our sins have been forgiven through the wealth of his grace which he lavished on us. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it. He lavished it. He poured it over. He gave it out. He gave it even more than what you anticipated or expected. Or I once heard of a man who went to a a lady in a pub and she said, You have no idea what these hands have done. She was talking to him about Jesus and his forgiveness. She said, in that moment, he took his hands 
and she kissed them. The simple promise of Jesus is this. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done has been done to you. If you come to him, he washes you clean. Past, present, future. And my friends, that is indeed good and refreshing and wholesome and right. Why? Why does God bother doing this? Why is he even interested in telling you who you are? Because he believes that when you look up, you will be more inclined to reflect and to know him back into the world. In fact, it was his plan from the beginning of time. What do you do with a world that's racked with violence? What do you do with a world where people shoot one another in Las Vegas? What do you do when nation states are pulling apart and becoming more insular? What do you do when there's violence on the street and the way in which people treat one another? What do you do? He says, I want to change people's hearts. I want to put them to right. Because one day, he says, his plan is to sum up the whole cosmos in Jesus, yes, everything in heaven and on earth, like he's the boss, the king, the CEO, to bring it together, to pull it together, to make it operate and function in exactly the right way, just as he intended from the very beginning to put it all together. So friends, let me ask you this morning, who are you listening to? And where are you looking for life? Because anything less of the immovable, unchanging, perfect, the one who is right and just and good, will fall short. And you will be caught in a life of wanting to please everyone else to make yourself feel good about who you are. You will ride the roller coaster of life. And God says, The Maker, would you look up at me? Because when I gaze into your eyes and you see how I see you. It changes everything. We have a song. It's going to be sung in a moment to give you a chance to pause and to reflect. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, how do I find out more about this person, Jesus? I'd encourage you, come to Journeys. We start in a week and a half's time. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, Troy, I have been so focused on going and looking in every other direction for finding my identity that I've forgotten and I have drifted. Well, here in this place right now, what I want you to do is as they play, what I want you to do is maybe open up your heart and mind and say, God, would you help me understand who you see me to be? God, would you help me? God, would you help me? In fact, he goes on and he writes this. I know this will be so hard for people to get what I want you to do. (laughs) What I want you to do is I want you to pray. God might open up your eyes, the eyes of your heart, so that you may know what are the riches of his goodness shows you before the beginning of time why because he loves you he delivered you 
adopted you into his family. And that won't change. You're a firstborn. You are God's treasured possession. You are God's treasured possession. You're God's treasured possession. Look up. Dare to look up. 